that it's going to get where it's supposed to go, okay? So, Lord, we all come into agreement tonight over the word of the Lord. We thank you for the word, and we thank you so much, Lord, that you speak to us like this and given us the word of God. Without the word, we would all be confused and lost and all kinds of deception. But, Lord, we thank you. We love your word. And we ask you tonight that there would be a strong anointing of the Lord on the word of the Lord, and that you would cause that by the power, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, just brooding over all of us, just to help us to lock in and, and give, give the Lord our, our full attention, our focus, that our minds and our hearts to be good fertile soil, and that our eyes and ears to be anointed and be eyes and ears of the Spirit, and that these words will be spoken under anointing, go out and sown into good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives that are watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. And, Lord, that this will bear fruit and be powerful and effective. And uh, we ask you that there be the washing of the water of the word. And there would be the light of truth shine and dispel all the darkness and lies and deception of the enemy. Bring truth. A sword that penetrates where it needs to go. The hammer of the word of God that breaks down the strongholds. And, Lord, we ask that the wind of the spirit will carry this everywhere it needs to be. And that your angels will watch over it. And we stand on the promise that your word does not return void, but goes forth and accomplishes that which you sent it forth to do. So we thank you for it. And we bind up everything of the enemy that would try to hinder the word of God, try to steal the seed. We agree together. We bind it now in Jesus' name. And, Lord, we agree together. Let this go forth and bear fruit in the earth. Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So I'm going to be dealing with this Meekdash series for a while you guys know me i do little mini series little things like that right i'll do these big long series but anyway this will be a long one i'm obviously kidding but this this will probably go for a lot of this year and i'm dealing with a lot of different topics in this and i believe that this sermon series is connected to the coming revival i believe it's important and it's laying some groundwork and so right now I'm dealing not just with Mikdash, but this is kind of like a subheading. I'm dealing with the travels of David and what David learned and, and all of that. And we've, we've spent some time on this. And so I'm going to go now and deal not only with the travels of David, but I'm also going to deal with something really deep tonight. If you guys have ever read this, and you can look this up, I don't have the reference, but Peter was writing about the Apostle Paul in, in the Bible, in the, one of the writings of Peter, First, Second Peter. I don't remember the reference exactly, but he said that our brother Paul writes about some very deep things that's hard to understand. And he said that some people try to distort his teachings. Well, tonight we're going to look at some of the deeper things that the Apostle Paul taught, and I think it'll really help you tonight. It's going to be powerful. But Paul got a, a deep revelation of certain things I want to bring out tonight. I feel like that we need to learn. All right, so just to start this off, I'm going to be dealing, this is Mikdash part 8, and I'm going to be dealing with union with Christ. And what I mean by that is God is wanting to draw us into a place of intimacy with Him. It'll never cease to amaze me, and I'm sure many out there, that how much God loves His people. That he is so wanting to spend time with his people. It blows my mind to see that, that, you know, God coming down in the Garden of Eden, he created a family, he wanted to spend time with them. But even though mankind has sinned and has, we've all blown it many times, 
that God still had such a heart um, right off. He was saying, you know, build me a sanctuary that I can dwell among them. And God's heart has always been to dwell with us. And so hopefully tonight this, this will really be something I think that, that all of us will learn some things and grow. All right, so last week I dealt with the soulish realm versus the spirit. You guys remember that. There's a big difference between being led by your own human soul, your intellect, your emotions, being led by your human soul versus being led by the spirit. There's a huge difference. And tonight as I go, I'm really hoping to embellish on that. But the Bible says that the sons of God, this, these are those that have been brought to maturity, will continually be led by the Spirit of God. So there is a leading of the Spirit. And so in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, I love this scripture. It says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Isn't that awesome? So the fellowship there is koinonia, and there's a lot to that word, but it implies an intimacy. We all know this, I say this many times, but where is God the Father, Yahweh God? He's obviously in heaven, the third heaven where his dwelling is, the further, furthest recesses of the north the Bible talks about. And where is God the Son, Yeshua the Messiah? Where is Jesus right now? He's at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. He's in a priestly role. So what person of the Godhead is with us right now? The Holy Spirit of God. Now God the Holy Spirit, He is just as much God as the Father or the Son. And He is a person. He's not a thing. He's not, he's not a flame of fire. He's not a dove. He is a person. And the Bible indicates, I remember in Acts 15, you know, when the early church had to make some very serious decisions, and they, they were meeting in a council on Jerusalem, that the highest level of, of spiritual authority that was there were, were convening together, and they were discussing things that, that, that were going to affect Christianity. And this was very serious. And Peter was presenting to them how God has poured out his spirit among the Gentiles, and and they were talking amongst themselves about what's going on through uh, Paul and Barnabas. And they were trying to feel things out because God was obviously doing something new. And they made this statement in Acts 15. They said that it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit to only ask the Gentiles to look at, you know, to abide by these things. And they gave some things. But they said it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. So they consulted the Holy Spirit. They understood that they needed to be led by the Holy Spirit. And so in David's travels, I'm not going to get into Naoth and Ramah tonight. That'll be next week. But the very first place David went was a place called Naoth and Ramah. And this was where Samuel dwelt. And I can't get into that tonight, but it has to do with learning your authority in Christ, etc. But the second place in David's travels, God was preparing him for his destiny. And each place that David went was very significant. The second place that he went was called Ezel, and this is what I want to talk about tonight. Because Ezel 
is where he met with Jonathan and had to deal with some things there with Saul, Jonathan's father, trying to pursue him and all of that. But Jonathan is a picture and type of the Holy Spirit. You can read about this in 1 Samuel 14 through 18. But again, Jonathan is a picture and a type of the Holy Spirit that was helping to give David advice and helping him to to understand what he needed to do and bring um, kind of bring revelation to him. If you, if you read the story, it's really interesting, but I'm not going to go into that tonight so much. I want you to read that on your own, but I, I'm just making a point here that, that David had a, a friendship with Jonathan who seemed to be his best friend. But Jonathan, being a picture and type of the Holy Spirit, is important because God is showing us today as Christians and believers that Jesus said, I will not leave you as an orphan. But I will go to prepare a place. And when I go, I will send you the comforter. The Holy Spirit, your counselor, your guide. He will lead you into all truth. He'll teach you. And so I'm trying to get in this sermon series people to understand that we all need to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's just like tonight. I have, many years ago, I've had to learn how to cooperate with and flow with the Holy Spirit. Because in and of ourselves, we really don't have anything to offer out of our own humanity. We might have a little bit of human wisdom we've learned. But by and large, what people need is they need the Word of God and they need the Spirit of God flowing through us. And so let me just lay a little bit of groundwork. The Holy Spirit in Isaiah 11.2, Revelation chapter 1, I believe verse 7, I could be wrong about the reference, but... Revelation reveals the Holy Spirit as um, the sevenfold spirit or the seven spirits of God. But how many of you guys know there's not seven Holy Spirits? So what are we dealing with? In Isaiah 11.2, the Bible reveals the Holy Spirit as like the menorah. You remember the lampstand? It was one lampstand, but it had seven branches, seven flames of fire on it. And the Holy Spirit comes like that lampstand, like that menorah, and he comes as, number one, the Spirit of the Lord, but also the Spirit of wisdom and revelation, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of God. And so when the Holy Spirit comes in his fullness, he's coming as the sevenfold Spirit of God. And, I mean, you guys know we want the Holy Spirit to be coming in his fullness, amen? All right, a couple things. This is just some groundwork I want people to kind of look into on your own over this week. Take these notes home and read it. But there's some, here's something that's kind of concerning. The Bible says that the, the gifts, the gift and calling is without repentance. So the gifts of God can be at work in somebody's life even though their character has not been developed. And this can be very deceiving and very dangerous. For, for individuals, and I'll tell you why. Because they think because God is using them that they're fine. Even though things may not be right in their life. In Matthew seven twenty one through 23, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me on that day, talking about the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, we did all this in your name. We prophesied. We, we healed the sick. We cast out demons. We did all these things. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. You practice lawlessness. 
And so that's a very strong warning in Scripture because these are people that were calling Jesus Lord. And they were prophesying and they, they were seeing people healed and they were seeing demons leave people. So these are people that were religious. I mean, they, they went to church. They were among us. But yet, they weren't right. Jesus said, I never really knew you. And you lived, you practiced lawlessness means you lived in unrepentant sin in your life. You never really dealt with the things you need to deal with. So what the Lord is saying to us in that scripture, because those are the words of Jesus Christ himself, what he's saying is, is that don't be deceived in thinking just because demons leave and just because people are healed and just because God uses you to prophesy that that, that in and of itself means that everything's okay. You need to make sure that you have a relationship with the Lord, that you know him and that everything is right, that you, you've, let the, you've let the Holy Spirit convict you and deal with you about things in your life that's not right. Another thing about the Holy Spirit, well, let me, let me say another thing about the gifts and character there. When the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, he, He's not going to allow us to continue to live in sin. Amen? The Holy Spirit will deal with things. There's a scripture in 1 John, uh, I don't have the reference in front of me, but where it says 1 John 3, I think around 7 through 9, around that area. But he said that the seed of God will abide in you, and if the seed of God is in you, you cannot continue to live a life of sin. See, the Holy Spirit, when somebody's truly born of God, and the Spirit of God's living in you, there's going to start being a change that's going to happen, a new creation, a new birth. Old things will pass away. Everything will become new. And God, the Holy Spirit, will not allow us to live a life of unrepentant sin. If we're really Christ's, when we get off and we get into sin, then the Holy Spirit is going to convict us like nobody's business, right? And it is a miserable thing. But God, the Holy Spirit, loves us, and he's trying to bring us back to where we need to be. All right, Acts 10.38. Jesus was totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit. It's a very interesting thing that Jesus did not do what he did um, in his office, so to speak, in the authority, if you will, of him being the son of God. But he came down as the son of man. And he functioned under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I believe the reason why Jesus did that was because he was the firstborn, the first fruits of those that would um, be, you know, become Christians after his ascension. And Jesus was setting an example in that everything that Jesus did, he said, even greater works shall you do because I go to the Father. And what he's saying is, is that even as I've been sent, I'm sending you. Does this make sense tonight? So Jesus depended on the anointing of the Holy Spirit to do what he did. But Jesus was saying to us today as Christians that just as I was sent, I'm sending you. As I was anointed, you'll be anointed. The things that I'm doing, you can do. And even greater than these, he said that. And so Jesus did everything by the Holy Spirit, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, being led by the Spirit. You should read his, you know, reading that, his life in light of what I just said. As soon as Jesus was water baptized and the Spirit of God came upon him, the Bible says the Spirit led him into the wilderness. 
And everywhere Jesus went, it, it Acts 10, 28, how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good healing, all oppressed of the devil. So what Jesus did, when the Bible says that, you know, the Pharisees were accusing him of doing things by the power of Satan. Think about this. The religious people said about Jesus that he had a demon, that he was demon-possessed. They were accusing Jesus of basically being like a witch doctor or a shaman that was doing things by magic spells and through demons. That's what they were accusing him of. And Jesus said, I don't, I don't have a demon, and I'm not doing this by the power of demons. He said, I, do, I cast out demons by the Spirit of God. So it is the anointing on Jesus' life and the anointing on our life uh, to see the power of God through us, just as Jesus did. He's our example. And also the Holy Spirit, um, John seventeen twenty two, Jesus was praying for those that would be his and that would come after him, even after his ascension. But he was talking about loving one another. And we know in Galatians, Paul talked about the fruit of the Spirit. And Jesus said, I'm going to give them my glory. The glory of the Lord is God's manifest presence. And Jesus is wanting that there be a love and a fruit of the Spirit among us, that we love one another. The world will know you're my disciples because of your love. But he's also wanting his glory to be in our midst. And Jesus said, Father, give them the glory that they may be one that you, just as you and I are one. And so Christ is wanting his glory. I'm going to tell you that it seems to me like I've given this example many times. That many of you probably have heard me give it. But if you have a beekeeper that has two different queen bees, they have two different hives. And say something happens where the one queen bee is out of the picture, she dies, whatever. You know, that beekeeper has got to merge those two hives together. But the problem is each hive has a completely different scent. And they're not, they're not loyal to one another. And so what a beekeeper will do is take something like a talcum powder, a baby powder, something like that, and have those two hives there. And he'll begin to, to sprinkle that up in the air. And that, that baby powder will go out and begin to settle down like this. And it'll, it'll settle upon both hives. And all of a sudden, the bees of both hives will come together under that one queen uh, because they have the same scent now. And Jesus said this. He said, Father, let them share my glory that they may be one as you and I are one. And I think about the Azusa Street Revival, how God sent his glory there. It started with, you know, around a dozen, 15 um, African-American people that prayed. But literally at Azusa Street where the glory was, there would be people that was rich and poor, black and white, from all different social, economical backgrounds that would come together in the glory and worship together. And I believe that the glory of God is going to help remove divisions. But we need His glory in our midst. Where the glory of the Lord is, there's a love and there's a unity. There just is. And finally, as I've read before, 2 Corinthians thirteen fourteen, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said he would be our counselor, our guide. He's going to lead us into all truth. He's going to reveal things to us. And so now I'm going to start getting a little deep tonight, okay? You guys are familiar with the tabernacle. We're going to talk about the tabernacle 30, 60, 100 fold. The tabernacle itself, there was an outer court. This is where it was lit by natural sunlight. The outer court was where people would come and they would bring their offerings unto God. 
In Hebrew, it was called korbanot, and it was the offerings. And it comes from a root word that implies to draw near. Because God loves His people, and He wanted them to have a way of being able to draw near to Him. And it was interesting because one of the offerings that they could bring was called a fellowship or a peace offering. In Hebrew, it's called shelamim. And what it was, was simply that they could bring an animal to the Lord. They were drawing near God with this animal. The priest would come and kill the animal, and it would be cooked there on the altar. But the person that brought it and the priest would eat together in the presence of the Lord. God's heart was for people to be able to draw near to him. Even under Old Testament law, God was doing everything he could that, to provide ways for his people to be able to be near as near him as possible. But the outer court was still just the outer court. It was lit by natural sunlight. It was a place where animals were killed. It had the smell of death. It was large. It was about the size of half a football field. About 50 yards, okay? It was pretty large. And this was where a lot of activity went on. And this is where the majority of God's people were. This is where they would come. And this is where they would dwell and where they would leave was the outer court. And this is like a 30-fold. It's sad because even to this day, most of Christianity are still just outer court dwellers. Even though there's so much more that's available to them. They only get beyond that first veil. Did you know there were three veils in the tabernacle? A lot of people think of just that one that separates the Holy of Holies, but there was three. The first veil was to get into the outer court. Most people only go through that first veil that has to do with salvation. They come there at that bronze altar. They see what represents Christ's sacrifice for them. They see that laver where there's water and they think about the water baptism and they dwell in that salvation experience and they never go any deeper than that. Therefore, they live a 30-fold life. They're saved, but they never go deeper. The second veil was the veil to go into the holy place. And only the priest could go in. And I'll get to the priestly garments in a moment, but they could go in there. And the priest would go in there, and there was a table of showbread on the right, which is like a communion table where there was bread and wine. On their left was the menorah, the lampstand. And in front of them, right before the, the veil, was the golden altar of incense. And this represents the 60-fold life. These are people that are now not content with just talking about salvation. Now they, they are baptized in the Holy Spirit. They're clothed with power. Now there's, there's a prayer language. They, they pray in tongues. They function in the gifts. They understand communion. And I'm talking about fellowship with the Lord. Um, they're, they're moving from natural sunlight now they're coming into a place of getting some revelation from the lampstand. They're getting spiritual light to revealed to them. And the incense represents praise and worship, prayer and intercession. They're learning to worship and pray. The bells and pomegranates, they're learning to walk in the gifts. They're bearing fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. 
This is 60-fold. But yet there's another veil. Just like the outer court is really large and it shrinks way down to the holy place, most of Christianity dwells in the outer court, but yet now you're having people that come into the holy place they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. They're beginning to get some things from God in the way of revelation. They have a prayer life. They're growing. They're moving from 30 to 60 fold. But yet the amount of people that are going in is much smaller. It's a smaller location. And the same way, now you have the third veil. This is the veil to the Holy of Holies. And how many of you guys remember that when Jesus died, this veil was ripped? And it is, it is accessible to us today in Christ. But this is now moving, not 30, not 60, but now moving to 100 folds. This is going from just being a servant in the outer court to being a, a priest in the holy place now to being like a king. It's a kingly anointing. And these are those that learn how to be intimate with God. There's a difference. They learn how to really get in a deep place with the Lord. And that's what I want to talk about tonight because this is kind of a deep subject. But you'll notice that the Holy of Holies is much smaller than even the holy place. You realize the Holy of Holies was only about 15 feet square. About the size of one of those large elevators. It wasn't big at all. And there was nothing in the Holy of Holies to illuminate that place except the glory. And to get beyond that holy place into the Holy of Holies now, there was a veil that had to be crossed. And I would say to you that most of Christianity dwells in the outer court. Some have gotten spirit-filled and they, they dwell in the holy place. But there is a godly remnant in the earth that are the glory people that have learned to go into the glory and how to get revelation and how to be intimate with God and how to know Him. And I'm talking about deep calling unto deep. See, the outer court has to do with your flesh. We have to learn how to be crucified with Christ. We've got to learn how to get beyond our own flesh. The holy place has to do with your soul. The mind, the will, the emotions. Whenever you begin to pray and worship, you know you've got to get beyond your own flesh. But you find yourself, even though your flesh is being crucified and brought under in prayer, you find now that your mind is having to be renewed. Your mind is having to focus on the Lord and your emotions, your heart as you begin to worship and you begin to pray, you begin to spend time with Him and communion with Him. This is the soul area. But God's trying to say to us, don't just stop there. Go deeper than, definitely deeper than your flesh, but go beyond just your human intellect, beyond just your human emotions alone. That's just a journey to go deeper. God is saying, I want you to get to the place where it's deep calling unto deep. Where the Holy Spirit is communing with your spirit. This is a place of revelation. This is a place of the glory of the Lord. 
This is a place of great anointing. And I would submit to you that very few people find this place. It's available to everybody. It's available to every single Christian. But most people along their journey get stuck in a religious rut somewhere. They get comfortable there and they camp there and they never leave there. We've got to learn to get beyond our flesh and beyond even our own human soul area because you're not going to really be able to understand God with your human intellect. I'm going to show you scriptures about this. Your human mind and mind can only understand God so much. We are so limited with our finite minds. We can only understand him so much. Our human emotions are only going to go so far. We're limited by our own humanity. But when you get even beyond that, I'm talking about where God the Holy Spirit begins to reveal things about God to you. And you begin to have this deep relationship with Him, spirit to spirit. Remember John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day in Revelation chapter 1. Let me say that again. John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. What happened after that statement was the Apostle John got the book of Revelation. What I'm trying to show you is is the place of getting in the Spirit, getting in the Holy of Holies is a place of great revelation. I believe that this is where 100-fold is found. Jesus said that the seed is sown, their some will bear 30, 60, 100 fold. I believe that this is the 100 fold. If you look at the priestly garments, which I'm going to take this from extremely basic. I'm not going to go deep with this at all. But you'll notice that there's a layer of pure white. This is the salvation experience. This is where those that were in the outer court were the Levites. And they wore pure white. This is like servants. Those that get saved... And they begin to serve the Lord. Wonderful people. They love God. God loves them. But they're in that realm of they're born again. They're saved. They've got their white garments on. And, and they, they're just serving in the capacity that they understand. Then, as you begin to move into the holy place, only the priest could go in there. And the priest had to have that blue tunic on that um, had the bells and pomegranates on the bottom. This is the clothing of power from on high. This is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. This is where you begin to pray in the Spirit. You begin to function in the gifts. And you move beyond just an outer court experience now into the supernatural, the power of God. And then the third layer that's on the priestly garments is a golden vest with a breastplate on it of the 12 tribes, but it was golden. This represents the glory of the Lord. Are you seeing the pattern? You go from just the white layer, the outer court, then the holy place, the blue layer, that the, uh, clothed with power from on high. Now you're going into the holy of holies where the gold, the glory is. See, God's wanting us to go deep because your spirit, God always intended for man to know him by the spirit. When the Bible talks about spirit, soul, and body, it is in that order. 
we talk about body, soul, and spirit, but God talks about spirit, soul, and body. When God created Adam, he created him as a spirit. He gave him a soul, and then he wrapped him in a body. When man fell into sin, the spirit of man died because it was disconnected from God, a spiritual death. And now people wander around, and it's all about their flesh. But when they come to know Jesus, and they're born again, God is wanting to do a great work in their life. Let me say it this way. The Apostle Paul, and I'm going to transition some now into some of his teachings, but the Apostle Paul grew up very Jewish. And so his whole entire life is wrapped up in the Hebrew customs. That's obviously it's Christian, in Christianity, that's our Hebrew roots. But he grew up in, under the law, and everything he knew revolved around the temple, revolved around the, the Hebrew feast, etc. And so his mindset, his whole life was, if you want to get near to God, you go to the temple. And you bring an offering. And you pray. And you obey the letter of the law. And Paul was somebody that God entrusted with great mystery revelation. I hope you're going to see the connections I'm starting to make here. Paul began to understand revelation knowledge. He began to understand the mysteries. And you'll read in Paul's writings that he went and he hid away for a time at Mount Sinai in Arabia. And he was spending time with God, but God gave him great revelation. And in his writings, he wrote like this. Behold, I'm going to show you a mystery. And he talked about the mystery of the church. He talked about the mystery of Christ and his bride. That was a mystery. He talked about the mystery that we're not all going um, to sleep, but rather there's going to be a rapture and there's going to be a catching away where the dead in Christ rise and those that are alive and remain will be changed in the blink of an eye. And it was a mystery. But Paul got deep, profound revelation. And when you get into the Holy of Holies and you get in the Spirit, your human spirit is created in such a way that there's three things. If you're going to write down or whatever, or you can circle it, it's here. Your human spirit was created to worship God, was created to get revelation of God, and was created to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. That fellowship with God. This is a little deeper tonight. But I believe River of Life is hungry to go deeper. This is the meat of the word. And God's wanting us to get beyond our own flesh and even beyond our own humanity and begin to understand him in a deeper way. Spirit to spirit. Revelation. This is a rabbit trail, but I'll make it quick. But there's this, this acronym in Hebrew called Pardes. And the way that, that people are taught to study the Bible, it's really interesting. I believe it's very um, applicable for us. But definitely will help you understand the Apostle Paul in this realm. The first was called Peshat. And this is like the most basic level. When you read the Bible, Peshat would be like um, tonight. Judah's back there in the children's church. You know, getting revelation on that level. Uh, just Bible study. You know, Bible stories. It's very basic. I mean, you read the story. It is what it is. It says what it says. But then the next level was called Remes. Remes. And this is where... The remez is like there's a hint of more. 
All of a sudden you see that it's a story there, but there's more to this story. God is, there's a revelation about God here. There's a revelation about the ways of God. Then you go further with Drosh, and this is where you, you begin to really connect dots in other places of the Bible, and you can sit here and expound on it and teach others. That's Drosh level. It's like a sermon. But the last level is called Sod, and this is Mysteries and Revelation. This is what the Apostle Paul started getting. And this would have been the type of pattern he would have been taught his whole life was this, was this pattern I just gave you. With the Apostle Paul would get deep revelation where in 1 Corinthians 10, he said that what happened to the children of Israel as they wandered to, through the desert was for all of us to learn from this. God was angry with some of them because they committed idolatry and sexual immorality. And, and he was saying, you need to learn about all this. And then he said there was a rock that followed them through the wilderness and gave them water. And he said, now watch this. Now all of a sudden he's going into the sowed level of mystery and revelation. He says that rock was Christ. Am I losing anybody tonight? Y'all with me? God is wanting us to get to a deeper place where we get off the milk and onto the meat. I think about the writer of the book of Hebrews, probably Paul, but we don't know. But he said... He was frustrated because he said, I want to give you meat, but you can't handle it. I've got to give you milk. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, frustrated, I want to be able to teach you about more things, but you're still carnal. God is wanting us to learn how to go deeper in Him. There's a process here. So as baby Christians, when people first get saved, they come into the faith. There's, there's a beginning foundational level that needs to be laid. Where people are getting the milk of the word and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But God's wanting us to go deeper. He doesn't want us to dwell there forever. I think that's one of the things that really is frustrating for a lot of people. Is that there's been a, a really strong deception. I believe it, it is a deception. We're now certain ministries out there are trying to dumb everything down for extreme baby Christians, extreme. And they won't teach anything beyond that. Well, what about everybody else that wants to go beyond that? What about everybody else that's hungry for the word? The baby Christians, as they're brought into the faith, there's a healthy fear of God. You know, when you, when you read about revivals of times past, the Holy Spirit would fall... And people were so gripped with the fear of God. They were convicted. They were weeping and wailing, confessing their sins, getting right with God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, remember wisdom, revelation, counsel, my knowledge, and what the fear of the Lord. And it says about Jesus, he'd delight in the fear of the Lord. So this is definitely a pattern, a process, that the Holy Spirit will bring baby Christians into this where they have a healthy fear of God. How many knows that... It, there could probably be a lot of problems resolved right now immediately in the body of Christ if there was just a good, healthy fear of God injected back in. In some of these places where it seems to contradict, it doesn't. Let me, let me show you. In Proverbs 10 or 9.10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Really, that can be read, the knowledge of the Holy, Kadosh is understanding 
So God's wanting there to be this beginning where you begin to have a fear of God and you begin to understand the, the holy things of God. But then 1 John 4.18 says this, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. Let me explain it this way. When a baby Christian comes into the faith, the Holy Spirit is going to deal, if it's really God, is going to give them a good, healthy fear of God. And they're going to really begin to repent and get their life right and get, get things where it needs to be. But over a period of time, here's what's going to happen. They're going to begin to fall in love with the Lord. In fact, they're going to begin to love Him so much that no longer is the fear of punishment necessary. Now, they don't want to sin. They don't want to do anything to hurt the relationship because they love Him. But that's something that's matured into Love has to be perfected in us. God's perfect, but people aren't. And so when we get saved, it starts with a healthy fear, but it gradually, your love is perfected. And you don't have to have that fear of punishment as much. But a wise person, there's always going to be a healthy fear and a healthy respect for God. Amen. All right, and also, godly sorrow leads to repentance. You know, as you, you see these great moves of God, great revivals that have happened, what is the Holy Spirit brought? Not only a fear of God and a conviction, but godly sorrow that has led to repentance. I've seen where the Holy Spirit has, has brought this godly sorrow. People feel convicted. They feel so guilty about their sin, and they really weep before the Lord, and they repent, and they get everything right with God. But then, on the other side of that, they find a joy unspeakable and full of glory. Because their sins are forgiven. But there's a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And then on the other side of that is joy. You see what I'm saying? There's a process. A lot of people want to make things comfortable. And they want to take away this process where there's not going to be a godly sorrow. There's not going to be any type of fear of God. All they're going to talk about is grace and love. And they don't realize that they're producing Christians that really don't know the Lord the way they need to at all. They haven't gone through that process of maturing. So let me shift gears again right here. The positive alternative to legalism, a union with Christ. Now this is going to be deep, so just bear with me. You may want to follow along in the notes. We're Romans 7. I'm going to deal with this. 1 through 6. See, the Apostle Paul, being Jewish like he was, the concept, I, I can't express to you how crazy this must have seemed to him at first. His whole life, the concept that God, being so holy and so powerful, and he dwelled in that temple in the Holy of Holies, and you would draw near to him by bringing these offerings, and now he accepts Christ because he has this encounter with Christ. He goes off to Arabia, most likely to Mount Sinai. He spends time seeking God. He gets revelation knowledge. He gets mysteries. And guess what God reveals to him? The mystery of the church, the mystery of the bride of Christ. In that now, God the Holy Spirit for the first time in history is going to indwell human beings. 
Can you just imagine in his mind how much that would have blown his mind? He probably spent the length of time that he did out there just trying to get over the shock of what God was showing him. And I mean that seriously. It was hard for him to wrap his mind around that this holy God that everybody feared that dwelled in the temple and and that you bring these offerings. Now that Holy Spirit is going to live in us and indwell us. But it's important that we understand something in this. This is deep and I just pray that God help everybody to, to grasp this because these writings of Paul sometimes can be deep enough where we need the Holy Spirit's help, but he will help us. Amen. I believe God will help you understand it. Um, seven, one through six. Or do you not know, brethren, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. And he gives an example. He says the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he's living. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law concerning that man. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she's an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's freed from the law so that she is not an adulteress, though she now marries another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made, listen to this, this is deep mystery revelation, if you will. Therefore, my brethren, he says, Christians, listen to me. You were also made to die to the law through the body of Christ. You are now crucified with Christ. You are dead in him. You can be. This is available to all of us. I'm not so sure that everybody has been crucified with Christ, but that's another sermon, right? So that you might be joined to another. To him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members of our body to bear fruit of death. But now we have been released from the law having died. Everybody say this, having died. We are to be crucified with Christ. That it is no longer us who live, but Christ living through us. I'm going to do my best to share this tonight, and and hopefully this will help people. But he said, we have been released from the law, having died to that which by, uh, I'm sorry, to that by which we were bound, so that we may serve in newness of the Spirit. Talking about the Holy Spirit, not in oldness of the letter of the law. All right. So let me put it to you this way. As long as you and I are trying in our flesh to please God, measure up, do everything right, you're going to live frustrated. Because your human flesh is, the law is connected to your flesh. And the law brings death. Your body, will, your flesh will never truly be able to measure up it's impossible but paul says that through the death of jesus christ you and i can now die with his death our our flesh our sinful human humanity we can be crucified with christ we can die to this flesh and enter into a place of resurrection life 
And let me put it this way. As long as you're trying to do it in the flesh, as long as you're trying to be a good Christian in your own flesh, I can do this. I, I, will, I will change this. I will fix this. You're going to live very frustrated. But if you'll come to the place of saying, Lord, let my flesh completely die, then here's the key. The Holy Spirit who lives in you will now arise from within you in a newness of life and empower you to be able to do what you could never do. It is the grace of God in you. It is the Spirit of God in you. There's a place to learn the do's and don'ts. Paul wrote to the Ephesians and said, Look, man, if you've been stealing, quit stealing. You've been lying, quit lying. Quit defrauding people. You know, he was, there's a place for all of that. But you've got to understand that everybody here knows what I'm talking about. As long as you're trying to do it in your flesh, you're going to be frustrated. Because your flesh is connected to that letter of the law. And it brings death. But when you find a place of being totally crucified with Christ, then the Spirit of God will take over. He'll help you renew your mind. He'll change everything about you and help bring you into the image of Christ. The things you used to struggle with, you'll start overcoming. But it is the Spirit of God empowering you to be able to do it. So it is so important that we don't focus. See, religion tries to focus just on the outward. Do this, don't do that. There's a place for that. But that's the focus of religion. That's the only focus. And they want to change you from the outside in. It'll never work. But true biblical Christianity is not focused totally, completely on the do's and don'ts. But it is a relationship where the Spirit of God will live through you and He will cause you to love what God loves, hate what God hates, be changed into the image of Christ. The things you used to struggle with, you'll begin to overcome. So there's, there's a union with Christ here. Let me show you a few other scriptures. I know it's a little deep tonight, even, even deeper than usual. But I believe it'll help some people. Because our, our goal in Christianity is not to try to measure up in our flesh. Our goal is to be crucified with Christ. It's no longer us who live, but Christ living through us. That's our goal. is to be conformed, the Holy Spirit through us, conforming us into the image of the Son of God where the fruit of the Spirit is evident. So there's this union with either flesh or spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 12. This is also in your notes. All things are lawful for me, but not all things profitable. All things are lawful for me, but, not, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach and stomach for the food, but God will do away with both of them. Talking about when we get glorified bodies and all that. Yet the body is not for immorality. Talking about sexual immorality. It's not for that, but for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up by his power. Man, I hope that these scriptures, maybe we've all read and just read through them. I'm hoping that they come alive tonight. Because Paul is saying here that just as Jesus was raised from the dead, that the Spirit of God has come into us as true believers, and He is literally raising us from the dead. 
from the spiritual death into life in Christ. This is awesome. Verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? And he's talking about having sexual sin. May it never be. Or do you, do you not know that the one who joins himself with a prostitute is, is one body with her? Now picture what Paul's saying. We're dealing again with flesh and spirit. Try to keep in context here. He's saying that this sinful flesh, which is bound by the law, it's under the, the rules of the law, if you will, as long as you're living that way. And then as you... He's talking about your flesh. He's talking about death through sexual sins. But look at this. For he says, the two shall become one flesh, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality, every other sin that a man commits outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? You've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your body. So what Paul is saying here is, is that don't live by the flesh anymore. Let, let the law that, that is connected to our flesh, let that all be just dead in Christ. God wants that all of that law, that letter of the law, to be dead with Christ. Our flesh that, that was connected to that, dead in Christ. And now we're one with God in spirit. And the spirit of God is our guide, our comforter, our teacher, the one who's revealing the things of God. I'm going to tell you, when you develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit, you don't have to worry so much anymore about the do's and don'ts. And you don't have to focus on them anyway because as you develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit and your sense of Holy Spirit, He will convict you. He will lead you. He will teach you. He'll keep you on track. The Holy Spirit... His total involvement in man's redemption. Think about this for a minute. That God sent his son into the world. God so loved the world. That he sent his only son. But, but God's plan of redemption. That began in the garden of Eden. That man sinned. And God said I'll put enmity between Eve. Between you and the serpent. Your seed and his seed. And God was prophesying that through Eve, through your descendants, I will bring a redeemer. I will bring someone out of humanity that will be a Messiah, a Savior. And will bring everything back to where it needs to be. And the Holy Spirit has been at work in this entire redemptive plan. From the very time that God sent Gabriel and told Mary, you're highly favored, the Spirit of God will come upon you and you will conceive. And you see right at the beginning that the Holy Spirit was involved in Christ entering the world. The beginning of Christ's ministry in Luke 3, 21 through 22. Remember also in Luke, I believe, chapter 4, what did Jesus say? The Spirit of God is upon me for he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Acts 10.38, the ongoing ministry of Jesus. The scripture I've already quoted, how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power and went around doing good, healing all oppressed. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. The Holy Spirit was very involved. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. 
And of course, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit poured out to birth the church. So what I'm getting at is that the Holy Spirit has been very actively involved in the complete work that God has planned in the redemption of humanity. The Holy Spirit has been very active and involved in every possible way. John 16, 12. Jesus said this to his disciples. He's getting near the time of his death. He had had that Passover meal. And he's talking with them. Think about what he says right here. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. For he will not speak of his own, but whatever he hears, he'll speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me. He will take of what, what, if, what is of mine and disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said he takes what is mine and disclose it to you. But Jesus said to his disciples, and this is what I'm going to paraphrase it. He's saying, guys, I have not died on the cross yet. I have not raised. Therefore, the Holy Spirit is only around you. You sense him around you because he's on me. You sense him around you, but he's not inside you yet. I have a lot of things I want to say to you, but because the Holy Spirit is not in you, you're not going to be able to understand them yet. But guess what? I'm going to go, and when I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to come, and he's going to live inside you. And then he's going to disclose to you everything that I couldn't. He's going to help you understand everything that I could not get you to understand because you were limited by your own humanity. I'm going to close with these couple scriptures. See, here's where a lot of Christians dwell. They want, they're in the holy place, not the holy of holies. They want to understand with their human intelligence. You're not going to fully be able to understand. You can understand some things. And what I've seen is there's some wonderful people, some wonderful teachers, and I love them. As a matter of fact, one guy comes to mind right now that I really like him. But you can tell that a lot of people, they're limited by their own humanity, their own human intellect. They've never gotten beyond that third veil where there's the glory and there's divine revelation. Prophetic insight. Knowing the deeper things of God. They've never gotten beyond that. They can talk to you about church history they can talk to you about ancient mesopotamia and, and, and israel and and the culture of that time and archaeology and they can help you understand the setting of the scripture when it was written and all of that has its place i enjoy that actually but they don't get beyond that into revelation knowledge they don't understand the deeper things of god let me read to you the apostle paul in first corinthians chapter two this is not in your notes but you can just listen he said, when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superior speech of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you a weakness and fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not in pers persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. But listen to this in verse 6. I do not speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however... I'm sorry, he says, yet I do speak wisdom among those who are mature, maturity. A wisdom not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. Hidden wisdom. Everybody say hidden wisdom. 
which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers this age had understood, for if they had, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. Things which eye has not seen nor ear heard. How many times did you read in the scriptures where Jesus would speak in parables and he told his disciples in the parables of the parable of the seed and the sowers, he said, they have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. How many times in Revelation, the, the, the spirit would say to the churches, those that have an ear to hear, let him hear what the spirit says to the church. All these people had physical eyeballs and physical ears. God was saying that not everybody has eyes and ears of the spirit. They have physical eyes, physical ears. They could see Jesus standing there. They could hear his words, but they never really comprehended. They only understood with natural intellect. They did not get spiritual revelation. And Paul said here, For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit within him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those things taught by the Spirit. Taught by the Spirit. Combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they're spiritually discerned. How many people out there are wonderful teachers? They, they understand so much as far as in the natural but when you talk about the things of the Spirit, it completely goes over their head. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit. As a matter of fact, many of these wonderful teachers will actually persecute the things of the Spirit because they don't understand them, and therefore they feel that they must not be of God. And they'll persecute the prophetic, they'll persecute revival, they'll persecute the ministry of the Holy Spirit because they don't understand it. They don't understand revelation. But he who is spiritual appraises all things. I'm going to stop there. But the point is, River of Life, are we going to go deeper? Get beyond our flesh, but also get beyond your own human soul, your human intellect. Get beyond your human intellect, your human emotions, which are so limited, and begin to get into a place where the Spirit of God brings revelation knowledge a place of intimacy with god a place of true worship in spirit and in truth and fellowship with the holy spirit this is what um, psalm 42 i believe it is says deep calling unto deep this is what it's talking about the holy spirit bearing witness with your spirit spirit to spirit relationship this is over the head of outer court dwellers There's something about resting and soaking in God's presence. Thursday night, we had a time. On Thursday night, we had a time of just putting on some worship. Those that came, we, we did some praise and worship. And, and it was just a time of just kind of soaking in God's presence and spending time with Him and being intimate with Him. But just, you know, ministry experience, 
will show, and I'm talking about across all of Christianity, you have the outer court dwellers, and you have the holy place dwellers in the holy of holies. It shrinks in number. But in this place where we were just resting in God's presence and spending time with him, this was the place that God spoke to me. I shared with you earlier. God spoke to me, I want you to read this, and he gave me some revelation for the church. See, it's in this place where revelation comes. All right, I'm going to close with this last thing right here. The Holy Spirit-led prayer, Romans 8, 14, Ephesians 6, 18. Let's read Romans 8, 26, though. There's some different references. But in the same way, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. For he who searches the heart knows what the, the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So... The Holy Spirit will help us in our prayer life. This is how the Holy Spirit will will help us. Here's four categories. Number one, the Holy Spirit will inspire us, number one, to pray the scriptures. That you'll find scriptural promises. Many times as we're praying here at the church, I have different psalms or different scriptures that I pray that I feel led to pray but claiming the promises of God and praying scripture. The second category is a burden. The Holy Spirit will give you a burden. How many times, how many guys have had a burden before? You felt led to pray for somebody or a situation. You really had a burden from God. That's the Holy Spirit. That's spirit-led prayer. Number three is tongues. When you pray in the spirit, the Holy Spirit prays through you in tongues. And the Holy Spirit knows exactly what needs to be prayed. How powerful it is praying in tongues. The Bible says you build up your most holy faith. You edify yourself. But you pray the will of God. The perfect will of God. And finally the fourth category is travail. That's why you hear it sometimes when the Holy Spirit's moving upon intercessors. You'll hear the groaning and the travailing. Right here in Romans 8. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That's what the intercessors are doing. They're, they're in the spirit and they, they sense that groaning in the spirit, the travail that's going on. And that's a very powerful form of Holy Spirit prayer. So to sum it up, I, I feel like a river of life is hungry to go deeper. And here we are beginning to see, I believe, what we've been praying for in the way of a move of the Holy Spirit beyond just our four walls, I believe that this is beginning. I believe that we're beginning to, to feel the winds blowing in and the rain beginning to, to come down. And God is beginning to move. But what the Lord is saying is it's available for us to go deeper. I don't want to be a person that's an outer court dweller that's just talking about salvation. But I also don't want to be a holy place person that is just talking about human intellect and my own personal emotions and, and things that are just my fellowship with God alone, but it's just me, my own humanity. I want to go beyond that into the holy of holies where it's a place that's deep in God, deep revelation, fellowship with the Holy Spirit. As I said earlier, your human spirit was created to have true worship that's in spirit and in truth. Your, holy, your spirit was created to get revelation from God. 
your spirit was created for fellowship with God. See, we talked about last week and the week before, you know, we talked about um, witchcraft in the church. That's a serious problem. It's a counterfeit to things I'm talking about right now. It's a counterfeit revelation, a counterfeit, all kinds of counterfeit things, counterfeit gifts, etc. But it's interesting because Galatians 5.19 says that witchcraft is a work of the flesh. See, people that are outer court dwellers, a lot of times they don't realize that they get in and out of the flesh a lot. They get real controlling or whatever. They, they get in the flesh. And Galatians 5.19 lists the flesh. There's not one good thing in that list. But also the dark arts. Revelation 21.8-9. This is a counterfeit. The dark arts. The occult arts. It's a counterfeit. But see, that's in the realm of the soul. That's where a lot of times people have not been able to discern... And they, there's a wrong, weird spirit that starts messing with their head, their emotions. Y'all hear what I'm saying? We need to test the spirits and know what's of God and what's not. And people start getting under the influence in their soul. Soulish prayer, soulish revelation. Things that really can be from the enemy. How many knows the enemy shoots thoughts in your mind? And tries to mess with your emotions. Sometimes we're up one day, down the next, you know. And the enemy can try to get you depressed. The enemy can try to mess with your minds. And this is an area of the, the occult dark arts can try to be at work. You know, if people surrender to that, but they can be at work in the soul area. But I'm talking about getting beyond all of that into a place of, of deep intimacy with God. And what concerns me is, is that by and large, a lot of Christians out there, or outer court dwellers, and maybe holy place dwellers, but they really don't have the prayer lives that they need. And because of that, they don't have the discernment they need. And so, they don't have discernment, so what do they do? They follow crowds, they follow charismatic personality, they follow the smoke and the lights, they're swayed over here, swayed back over here again. They don't really know. But when you get into a place of intimacy with God, God will begin to um, teach you his word in a deep way. You'll know the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and you'll know when something's not of God and when it is of God. There's true discernment. And I believe that's where God wants to take everybody. And I'll say this too before we shut down the recordings. My wife and I have seen down through the years we've ministered here, but we've ministered many other places. We've prayed for a lot of people. And I've seen a lot of people get hit by the power of God. And a lot of people on the ground under the power of God. You know, whether crying, laughing, shaking, whatever, manifestation, but they're under the power. But we've also seen where some of those people were really deeply changed it went beyond just an emotional thing it certainly wasn't just an intellectual thing it went deeper than just a human soul it went down into their spirit and changed who they were and they got up different but we've also seen people that have been touched by god same opportunity same service same touch under the power of God, yet it seemed like to them 
it never went deeper than just an emotional experience. They never were really truly changed and they got up out of that time and ended up in the long run back where they came from spiritually. They never were changed. I want God the Holy Spirit to be able to get deep down within me and change who I am and to really be able to do a deep work in my life, not just some emotional thing. 